Open up your Bibles to uh, Colossians chapter 3. Once again, we're in this series that we're going to be in for just a few more weeks now on the attitudes of what we call the sweet Christian. The attitudes of the sweet Christian. We've been looking at all sorts of things, and these have been things that I have most personally wanted to work on myself, and that's kind of why I chose them selfishly. But um, here's one that I, I got a request on from multiple people and it has to do with the idea of patience particularly patience with other people Um, and this of course when I was thinking about this reminded me of a glorious camp experience I had a long time ago at a little camp in the middle of Minnesota and I was a camp counselor and that meant I had to do all sorts of things like stay up just really late why do you guys want to stay up so late? Let's go to bed. Uh, but then also I had the joy, kind of, of being a part of the counselor meetings in the morning. And, you know, this is just kind of a large swath of Christianity that volunteers for summer camps, and so they, they're coming from all over the place. But I always found two prayer requests at these counselor meetings most curious, and most curious indeed. Uh, the one prayer request was when somebody would raise their hand and say, I have a prayer request for an unspoken. Now, I don't want to offend you if you've ever prayed or had offered a prayer request for an unspoken. I suppose there's a good thing for that. But I just, I always thought it was kind of curious. I mean, I guess that's helpful. Um, now I know that you're having a problem with something, um, and I can pray for you that you'll stop having a problem with something, but I don't really know what I'm praying for. I'm guessing it has to do with like an interpersonal relationship that you have in this very room. That's why it's an unspoken. That's all. So, but that was kind of weird to me. The other weird prayer request was when people asked for the prayer request. Uh, for God to, to, to help them with uh, the, the P word. They didn't want to say it, but I just, I need some help with the P word. It took me a while to figure out what this was. This was patience. But they didn't want to say patience, I figure, because that would mean they would be, I don't know, convicted by it. Or they didn't want God to actually hear the prayer for patience because then he might actually start working on their patience. And God tends to have a way of working on our patience by giving us difficult people around us and they don't actually want God to work on their patience. I don't know. It was always an, an interesting way to approach the problem of patience focusing on maybe other people. And, and I say this because the, the whole attitude towards this issue is, is upside down. That's not how a Christian should approach the problem of patience at all. It doesn't start with the people you're focusing on. It doesn't start with the problem or the situation in your life that is causing you trouble. Um, I would say this is never where a gracious attitude begins in the heart and life of a believer. It never begins with your problem. It begins with your great God. And that's what we see in our passage tonight. And I, and I was, of course, looking all throughout the Bible for what it had to say about patience, but I was struck by um, this passage here in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And, and just notice, as, as Paul moves here into a practical section of the letter to start to deal with the nitty-gritty of relationships, notice where he starts, where your mind should be, where your heart should be in every attitude that you face. He says this in Colossians 3, verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for this night, and we thank you for this opportunity we have to deal with a topic that we all struggle with so much. I pray that you give us open minds and hearts to, to think through this issue in a, in a way that's helpful, constructive, and, and full of your word and your direction. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul here is talking about how the Christian walks. And, and we've talked about Colossians in the last couple weeks, uh, way back in a couple months ago, I guess. Uh, and, and, and I kind of argued to you that Kind of the key passage of Colossians is actually Colossians 2, verse 6. And this kind of sums up the entire letter to uh, the Colossians by Paul. And he says this, As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The first, first half of Colossians is talking about what you have received if you have received the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the second half of the letter to the Colossians is how you should walk how you should then walk if you have received Christ Jesus. And we, we see here that, that, that the Christian life is continually setting your mind on things above and not just on the things that are here on earth. And in these four verses that, that we read in chapter 3, 1 through 4, we, we see all sorts of things that are true about us as we set our mind on things above. First off, we see that, that we are new. We have a new identity in Christ. We also see that, that we are different. We are different than what we used to be. We're new because we are different. We have, it says in verse 3, died. We have died. And then notice also, I love this part in verse 4, our life is hidden. We're secure. We, we don't walk after Christ in some sort of a way to please God, to, to, to kind of work our way towards heaven, to, to hope our good works outweigh our bad works. We walk and follow and obey Christ Jesus from a position of security. That's what hidden means. We're hidden with Christ. We, we have infinite security that we walk out the Christian life in. Our life is hidden with Christ. And how do you know you have this mind? How do you know you have this mind of Christ? Well, you do what he says and begins to say in verse 5 all the way through the end of the chapter in the letter, really. You, you put to death. You, you put off uh, the old ways that used to be your identity. And you do all of this because you are a new creation, as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians. But notice what he says in verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing as you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Right? You put off these things because you are new. But also notice it's not enough to just put off things to live a life of repentance. You also put on things. You, you repent of things and you pursue attitudes. And that's what we've been talking about. That's what this attitude thing is all about. In verse 12, we come to the verse that captured my attention on patience. Notice what he says, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, Humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, 
so you must also forgive. I just want to break down this passage kind of very simply for you tonight. I want to work out kind of an explanation of patience. Just an explanation. I want to give you a couple descriptions of patience that we see here from this passage. So you could kind of think about this as a as an explanation of Christian true spiritual patience. You could also think about this as a description and a kind of a running description of true spiritual patience. What do we have first? First we have this. True spiritual patience is essential. True spiritual patience is absolutely essential to your life as a Christian. You you can't live the Christian life faithfully without patience. We see there that word at the end of verse 12, and patience, such a small little word, but it is so deeply significant to our life. The, The Old Testament word for patience is kind of fun. It means you have a long nose. (laughs) It's like your Pinocchio, but you're a good guy. (laughs) Uh, But that means because uh, the the Hebrews used to think of anger as something that made your nose turn red or, or hot. And so if you had a long nose, it meant, I guess, that your nose took a long time to get red or hot. We don't need to work too much into that, but it means you are slow to anger. You are slow to anger. You see that word all the time in the Old Testament. And there's two basic words in the New Testament that are used to describe patience. One of those words that's not used here is just a basic word that, that talks about waiting. And the word that we have here is, is, is more descriptive, I think. It's, it's referring to long-suffering, similar to that Old Testament idea. It is a willingness to wait. It's a willingness to wait. It's a willingness to bear under a difficult situation or circumstance in your life. It's a willingness to wait for the outcome and to not try to manipulate it or control it to your own selfish ends. That's what patience is. Patience is the very opposite of anger. Anger tries to, sinful anger tries to control and rule and manage your life the way you want it in the time you want it. But patience says, I'm willing to wait for the reward that's at the end of patience. The patient one is never angered. The patient one never loses their cool. The, the patient one is never cast down and dejected by people who are foolish or unteachable in their life. The, the patient one never reacts in wrath or in anger. Now, this doesn't mean you're apathetic. We talked about there is a place for passion. We talked about that last week in talking about zeal and, and godly anger. This, this isn't necessarily a patience that's without feeling. I can't feel anything, so I don't care. No, this is a patience that endures, waits. They, they trust God's timing and God's power to provide an answer for their personal problems. Now, this is not an, an attitude that we see in the world very much today, is it? Not at all. We rage and we foam when something doesn't go our way. 
when some candidate doesn't get elected or does get elected, when something happens in the courts that we like or we don't like, we burn stuff. We are not patient people. <laughs> we have cell phones. We are not patient people. But if you're honest, this is not an attitude that much describes you either, does it? We have family members that were just sent by God. <laughs> To work in us for some reason, right? There, there's irritation that swells up so easily. There's frustration that comes so naturally. There's resentment that seems to be just with you from the womb. And not to mention, there's all these situations in your life that you're anxious about and worried about. Where am I going to go when I graduate from here? What am I going to do? Or that million dollar question who am I going to do it with I don't know if I can wait and maybe you're, you're, you're willing to be patient about the future romantic issues in your life maybe you're going to say I'm not going to pursue that now in high school but, but you're still a little impatient in the way you act because you may not be pursuing that guy but you're kind of talking about them all the time to your friends, kind of maybe secretly hoping that it gets back to them just so you can kind of secure him for later you know, I just want I'm not going to tell him myself because that would be immature But but if my friend tells her friend who tells her brother who tells him, that's fine but that's really just impatience that's really just a willingness not to wait for God's timing and God's place in your life But spiritual patience is essential. It's essential because it is essential to the very existence and the fabric of the Christian community. And I'll give you a few reasons for this um, that are obvious. Number one, it is essential to our group, because I don't know if you know this, but of all the groups in the church, our group, believe it or not, is is kind of immature. (laughs) We're not all the way there yet. And I'm not even talking about you. I'm talking about your leaders. Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm talking totally about you. Uh, uh, we are in a group of immature fellow believers. Immaturity, sin will rub you the wrong way. Or, or here's another reason why you need patience. I mean, just examine the very significant fact that this is here in Colossians chapter 3. There is not necessarily an issue in the Colossian church about impatience or not forgiving one another. There is no background issue that we can tell from examining this letter that shows, wow, this church is struggling with impatience. This church is messed up, man. No. But Paul tells them to pursue patience because this is such an essential thing to the Christian community. You are always going to need patience regardless of where you are in life. And another reason, I mean, it's just kind of natural from looking at this passage, right? If, if, if you're just putting things off and not putting anything on, you're not really putting anything off. Because those things that you put off, like anger, wrath, 
malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth in verse 8 will come right back if you do not replace them with something else. So it's, it's, it's essential. It's essential to putting things off. And I would also say this. It's essential to the Christian community because it is essential for every single Christian work. Every Christian work. Patience is not for the do-nothing Christians. Patience is for the Christians that want to do serious work for God and the gospel. You need patience if you want to help people in this life. This is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Be patient with them all. This is something you need with all people, interacting with all kinds of people. Or how about, how about 2 Timothy 4, 4 verse 2, where, where Paul is urging Timothy as, as, a, as, a, as a minister of God's word, preach the word in verse 2, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, re- rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. This is the heart of a teacher, somebody who repeats things, who is patient to teach. And maybe you're not going to be in a position of preaching, but I think you want to be in a position of exhorting, of encouraging, of rebuking. I I think you want to be in a position where you're helping one another. You need patience with that. You desperately need patience with that. Patience is a a beautiful thing to the Christian community. Matter of fact, Proverbs 15, 18 says this, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger, long-nosed, quiets contention. Or Proverbs 25, 15, With patience a ruler is persuaded. What power patience has in your speech. And it goes on, a soft answer will break the bone. The truth of the matter is, if you want to do spiritual good for other people in your life, you must have the attitude, the, act, the activity of heart that is patient. Patient. Matter of fact, there's a few illustrations. William Carey, who was a missionary in the uh, 1800s, I believe, he had to labor in India for the gospel for seven years before he ever saw one convert. Could you labor with sinful unbelievers for seven minutes? Seven years. Or Adoniram Judson, who was on his way to join Kerry in India when his boat got distracted and he had to go to Burma instead, which is right next door. He had to work for seven years as well before he saw his first convert. If you want to do spiritual good for people, you need, you must. It's essential to have patience. But this is hard. This is very hard. It's, it's almost impossible. Matter of fact, when we define patience the way the Bible defines it, that should be our response. This is not of me. And that's our next point, actually. It's true spiritual patience is not of you. True spiritual patience is not of you. Many people, probably people, maybe even yourself, you consider yourself possibly, and, and people in the world today probably consider themselves to be fairly patient people. 
what do they what do they describe? They say, I'm I'm patient if the people are deserving. I'm patient if the situation is right. I'm patient if I got my eight hours of sleep. I'm patient if I got to play five hours of video games last night. I'm real patient if my siblings are out of town. <laughs> but that's where we need to return to Colossians three and 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 see and to see where patience comes from. It's not from us. Matter of fact, we see Paul kind of hint at this in Colossians 3. Notice he starts this list of put-ons in verse 12. And and look, look at that. Look at where he goes. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Paul almost seems like he can never stop thinking about the quality, the nature, the character of his God. He never thinks about what he's doing without thinking about who God is and what God has done for him and for you. He is always, he is always of a humble mind and frame saying, it's not because of me, it's because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. He says, you are God's chosen ones. You are selected and this isn't just an indifferent selection by God in past time. Notice, you are chosen, holy, and beloved. You are chosen by God in love. And you weren't chosen because you were necessarily so great to look at or, or wonderful. You weren't the best of the bunch, so to speak. That's not why God chose you. God shows you for this reason, as, as 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1 says, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 says, Therefore do not be ashamed, it's talking to Timothy obviously, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then verse 9, he says this, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. God chose you to be holy because he chose to love you. Not because you were lovely or were holy, but because he chose you of his own purposes and glory. Matter of fact, you could say the the whole message of the Bible is is right there in God choosing people who didn't deserve it and God patiently waiting to pursue his purposes. The whole message of the gospel is just one big patient God. For example, Romans 2.4 says this, It is the patience of God. It is the patience of God that is responsible for repentance. It's the patience of God that's leading us to repentance. And and it says also in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, God is not slow to fulfill His promises, but He is patient in fulfilling His promises. Why is God so patient? Because He is waiting for all of His chosen ones to come to repentance and saving faith. God is waiting for all to be gathered. And and notice this, he is patient towards you. And this patience that that you have 
is not something that you just do in response to that patience, but something you receive from that patience. God is patient and gives you good gifts. As it says, patience is actually a fruit of God in your life. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Look it up. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. By contrast there, it means what's in me, what's in my flesh, is not patient. It only comes from God's Spirit in me. And I have hope in God because of His love for me. But let's continue in our explanation of true spiritual patience. True spiritual patience is also never alone. True spiritual patience is never alone. Now, come, come with me here and, and think through this. Colossians 3, verse 12. There seems to me to be an intentional clumping of all of the attitudes that he's telling us to put on here in verse 12. They all seem to be related. Matter of fact, if you look up the words... They all kind of mesh together, bleed into one another. They all belong together. They all seem to be talking about the same thing, forgiveness. And they also seem to build on top of one another, and they seem to build from the inside of the person to the outside actions of the person. And we've actually seen Paul already do this in verse 5. He moves from sexual immorality all the way down to covetousness. And there he's moving from the outside action to the inward heart motive. But here in verse 12, he is starting to go from the inside to the outside. So what I'm all I'm trying to say is there's a progression here. There's a flow here. Patience is not alone. You, you don't just decide... When the problem comes, going to be patient. Patience is something you start before the problem even begins. Patience is a part of a chain that goes, a vital chain that goes from your heart to your hand. And you need all of those parts if you're going to actually have true spiritual patience. What are these parts? Let's move through them very quickly. First off, notice it's a, it starts in the inner heart. It's a compassionate heart, or you could translate it, a heart of compassion. You're, you're, in, you're in the deepest part of you. The heart is the, the seat, the center of the, the mind and the emotions in the, the human. And what is the heart? What is at the heart of the person who is patient? Compassion, mercy, sympathy. It's, it's a heart that naturally goes out to people instead of recoiling from people. It's a heart that is bent towards people with trouble rather than away from people with trouble. Jesus, of course, is, is the example of this in Mark six thirty four. He's trying to escape the crowds. Never works. He gets in the boat, goes to the other side, get out of the boat at the other side, and there's all these people there that want food and him. And it says in Mark 6.34, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them. Same word. Same word. He had compassion. And, and notice what this says about Jesus. He has a heart 
He is a person who is drawn from the heart towards people who need God's help. From the heart, he is drawn towards people, not away from people. He is drawn towards people who are sheep without a shepherd. That is the heart of Jesus. And that is what we're called to put on as well. And second, notice also we need to put on this thing called kindness. This means to be benevolent. This is a quality that that loves people, that has compassion, uh, um, interest, all of those things that compassion has in it, but also it has this desire to do good at the same time. So you see a, a blending from compassion. This is a warmness that wants to do good for other people. This is a concern for the well-being of those that are closest to you in your house, in your small group, in your church. This is a concern for people that flows from a compassionate heart. And then thirdly, we see humility. Humility. This is a view of oneself that is true. You view yourself as God views you. I love our church covenant. One of my favorite parts of the church covenant is this, when we covenant together, As Christians, we are going to have a biblical view of ourselves. That is humility. I'm going to think about me as God and God's Word thinks about me. Often humility, uh, we see ourselves humble because of our weakness due to sin or our weakness because we are creation, not creator. That makes us humble. That is who we are. Matter of fact, this word is not very popular to the ancient Greeks who thought highly of themselves. Humility was a bad thing that nobody ever wanted. I got this from a Greek dictionary of the ancient language. It said this, it, it means, humility means to be low, to be small, to be poor, to be powerless, to be unimportant. That is what humility is. I see myself as a creature and a sinful creature, and I get low. I am humbled by that knowledge. And then this, of course, leads into the fourth thing that we're supposed to put on, right? We're supposed to put on meekness. It's a smallness concerning yourself. You're, you're not overly impressed with yourself by yourself. You're not so serious about your interests that you're going to fight other people that offend you or step on your toes you you don't you're not provoked by personal offenses in your life why well because you have a biblical view of yourself you you know that you are a sinner among sinners and you are meek and and don't get me wrong your meekness is not weakness Meekness is strength. Just like patience, you need to have meekness if you want to do spiritual good for people in your life. Galatians 6.1 says you must have meekness if you want to restore a, a sinner. It says this, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of what? Meekness. Or 2 Timothy 2.25 says meekness is a necessary attitude if you want to defend the faith well. It says this, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Meekness, same word. Why? We're hoping that the Lord will, through our efforts, bring them, give them, produce in them 
repentance. And of course, this leads to our fifth attribute that we're supposed to put on, patience. That's the one we've been talking about. Now, if you, if, you, if you can see all of these, how they bleed into one another and how they lead to one another, you see, if I have these things, I can suffer long. But if I don't have all of these other things, I cannot suffer long at all. And of course, this shows you that true spiritual patience is not just something you can turn on with your own strength. It's the result of a transformed heart and a transformed mind. One that has been empowered and strengthened and changed by the Holy Spirit and is never the same. It is an attitude, it's a heart that is turned upside down by the gospel. That is what patience is. But let's look at our final description. Just a review, it's essential, it's not of you, it's never alone. And fourthly, true spiritual patience is not the end game. Remember, this put-on list is heading somewhere. It's going from the inward to the outward. It's going in a direction, but it doesn't end with patience. The goal here is not to just endure for forever. That's not what you're trying to do. Not just have a long of noseness to you. It's not what you're trying to produce. The, the end game that you're after is restoration. Peace. Fellowship again with a believer. It's, it's eager. It's excited for forgiveness to come. Because you've done all this legwork in your heart beforehand. You're eager to extend forgiveness. You're seeking it. You're pursuing it if someone has wronged you. Notice what he says in verse 13. You are bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, you are forgiving each other. Bearing with. This means to be enduring. And it's similar to patience. It's similar to all these other words. It's, it's enduring with someone who has failed you or disappointed you or not done something that you prefer. It's uh, connected to the word for grace. It's, it's giving grace to someone again and again. And it doesn't necessarily mean they have asked for forgiveness either. In my, in my mind, it is, it is the predisposition to be ready to forgive. It's bearing with someone continually. And this is not a disgruntled bearing with, like, God, I, God, I guess I have to bear with you. Don't like you very much. I'm bearing with you through my teeth. No, remember, this is bleeding from a new heart that is full of compassion Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It's all coming from that heart. But, but what is this heart after? It's, it's after restoration. It's after that ability to forgive each other. This is mutual restoration, but one person on one side of it started it. Right? It's someone who seeks to Restore that relationship because it has a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, all of these things. Or can I say it this way? Christians don't hold grudges in their heart. They hold compassion, humility, meekness, kindness, patience, 
in their heart. Patience is willing to bear ills meekly and cheerfully and freely do good. But, but forgiveness is not even the end game. That's not really what you're after. What you're really after is the glory of Christ. That's what you're after. We don't notice. Notice who you're paralleling your whole entire life to in the second half of verse 14. As the Lord has forgiven you, you so also must forgive. Can I say it this way, right? The patient heart is continually working because the cross of Jesus Christ is continually powering it to think and live differently. The patient heart wants Christ's grace and Christ's magnificence and Christ's sweetness to be known because it has tasted Christ and loves Him and cannot, will not, refuses to be anything other than extending glory to Christ. That is the heart of patience. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for uh, this time and your word. And we pray that it would produce in us a, a deeper humility and a, and a profound patience through the power of the, gro- the cross and the knowledge of what Christ has done for us while we were the most undeserving of sinners. I pray now that we would have a profitable time in small group, that we would help one another to think about these things and, and not be distracted but focused. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.